Welcome to The Current, a podcast produced by We Stand for Energy. We Stand for Energy is a community that supports a reliable, affordable, and sustainable energy future for everyone. It is a project of EEI, Edison Electric Institute, the National Trade Association representing U.S. investor-owned electric companies. My name is Brad Viator, Executive Director of External Affairs at EEI, and I'm your host. Welcome. I'm joined today by Richard McMahon, the Senior Vice President of Energy Supply and Finance at the Edison Electric Institute. And to kick us off, Richard, can you tell me more about your role at EEI? Thank you, Brad, for inviting me to this podcast. I'm really pleased to dialogue with the We Stand for Energy community during this challenging period. Hope everyone's doing well. In my position, I really have a great opportunity to work with our CEOs and our CFOs and members of the financial community on the finance set of issues, and that includes you know, all the capital market issues, tax, finance, accounting, IR, everything. So that's really the focus, part of my focus. And in addition to that, I have the opportunity to work with our COOs and the clean energy community on all of the issues related to the, the transition to the lower carbon energy economy that we're currently undergoing. Then you're the perfect person for me to ask about the trends we're seeing in electricity demand during the COVID-19 crisis. Can you tell me a bit about that? I think that what we're seeing right now is that as the C-19 infections began ramping up in mid-March, that didn't have an immediate impact on electricity demand, but we really started seeing the impacts into March, into April. And I think that thing you need to bear in mind is that essentially, if you look at the customers, we sort of segment them three different ways, residential, commercial, and industrial, residential being the largest group, actually residential and commercial being about the same and industrial being slightly smaller. Two of those segments were impacted with the shutdown very profoundly, and that being the commercial and industrial. On the other hand, one of the large segments actually increased because traditionally the residential segment has certain peak hours during the evening and so on. But during the daytime, when people are at work normally, that segment really recedes quite a bit in terms of demand. But essentially what we saw, you know, for the month of April, we saw average monthly electric output down between 5 and 6% year over year across the U.S. And there was also a great degree of regionality to that, but that's the sort of average across the U.S. Some regions saw almost no decrease, and other regions saw very, very steeper decreases. So it really depended on the impact of COVID in those regions, how quickly the state shut down, and, and also, frankly, the, the level of commercial and industrial load in those states as well. What does that mean in a broader sense? So when you see demand decrease for the industrial sector and then mm-hmm. it ramps up on the residential sector, what does that mean on net? You talked about 5% drop in demand on the year mm-hmm. over years, but how does that break out within each of those particular sectors? It's a very interesting thing because there's quite a few states that have a much higher significant amount of commercial industrial exposure versus other states that don't, that are more residential. But in general, we saw the commercial load being impacted the most because that includes all the small businesses, that includes all the office buildings, all of the businesses where they either shut them down or as part of the state orders fostered a lot of telecommuting. And then industrial was probably second hardest hit, but again, there were some 
industries that, you know, because they were like the electric industry, tied to lifeline industries or producing ventilators and masks and things of that sort, PPE things that were essential to getting through the COVID crisis, the industrial sector in some cases continued. Now, other parts of it didn't, like auto manufacturing, for example, but there were many industries that did. The sort of order would be commercial, the most impacted, followed by industrial, and then in some cases, residential has actually gone up. I've heard a lot of people talk about how we're in the shoulder season, the sort of spring time when, you know, the weather's nice and temperate, so electricity demand isn't super high. Maybe that's being borne out in those numbers when you're looking at 5% decrease in electricity use. What happens when similar patterns continue throughout the summer when you get to those peak periods of demand? How do you expect to see those numbers spread? That's a great question, and then it really ties so closely to the discussion we were just having. In addition to having this customer segmentation, there's a tremendous amount of seasonality that needs to be looked at in terms of the electric business. It's a business where you refer to shoulder seasons, and those are the seasons where generally electric demand is down quite a bit, and that is historically bears out. It's kind of a sine curve look. During the the spring months, generally speaking, electric load is down quite a bit because people aren't using their electricity for air conditioning and applications like that. And so historically, we're at sort of a nadir in terms of the electric use. The impact would be much, much worse if this COVID crisis occurred two months from now in the summer season because the amount of demand is much, much higher just because of the fact that your air conditioners are on, the days are longer, people are using a lot more electricity. And so the financial and demand impacts are much more profound during those periods. That is probably one of the only aspects of the C-19 crisis that could have been worse if this occurred during the summer period. As you think about how this is distributed in some of the particularly hard-hit businesses that we've talked about in this discussion, be that the gaming industry, tourism industry, auto Mm -hmm. manufacturing, Mm -hmm. oil and gas, the question kind of comes to that point a minute ago, how is this recovery going to occur and is it going to behave differently for different parts of the economy? Does auto manufacturing come roaring back, but tourism, as we're all physically distancing, may face more trouble ahead? I think that's a great point. The electric business is a lifeline business. The gas business, also a lifeline business. Waste management, telecom, steel, the production of food and that whole value chain there. Healthcare, pharmaceuticals, chemicals. That's at one end, I would think, probably the lower impacted end and the one, the part of the end that's been really having for a lot of reasons, because there are many of them are lifeline industries, having to push through even during this crisis. On the other hand, you've got the airlines, gaming, restaurant and leisure, lodging, auto and auto suppliers, consumer durables, apparel, transportation, oil and gas. These are industries that if you look at them, how they're geographically spread, that will give you an indication of how that's going to impact the electric and more broadly, the economic recovery in those areas, plus and minus, depending on which industries you have more exposure to. When folks look at our industry, they're seeing the operations is serving the community, serving the customers very, very well, and being able to have enough resilience to withstand the impact of this crisis. 
It sounds like the electric companies, in terms of the demand impact for electric companies, will follow the rest of the recovery in that area and in that region. Do you think that's fair? Historically, our company's demand has correlated pretty closely with economic growth. But this is almost an unprecedented aspect. So the hope is that the recovery will be more on the V-shape. But I think you need to look at your exposure to these different industries and say, am I in an economy that is mostly commercial industrial and mostly or maybe mostly commercial and mostly tourism related? And how is that going to come back? And I, I think it's still uncertain right now. And in a perfect world, the best case scenario would be a vaccination has developed sooner rather than later and that we can return to our normal lives. But it may not be that quick. Procedures need to be put in place, let's say in the restaurant industry where you can't be at full capacity and same in the hotel industry. And I think when those things are there, it's going to be not as quickly for those sorts of businesses to get back to where they were prior. But the hope is that that demand will mostly all come back and that when that demand comes back, the companies will be there to provide the customers the service that they expect. What does this mean for customers over the near term as we sort of muddle through the crisis? The commitment that the industry made at the very beginning of this, not knowing how long it was going to last, but that commitment, that moratorium, I think that had a tremendous benefit. The hope is that the customers will be able to come back and that utilities will be partners in that. Our companies have been very good, and, and they did some of this during the financial crisis of 2008, which is, by the way, a profoundly different type of crisis than this one is from a business standpoint, an economic standpoint. But they're working with the customers. They're working through payment plans. They're working through recovery plans. So that, that partnership is really, really strong in there. That's going to be part of the roadmap as to how the economy gets back and that our companies are going to have a lot to do with helping the customers get back on their feet, get their businesses back, and then get their electric service completely where it was. I believe that's the real valuable role that a lifeline industry like ours can have. One thing that I think is embedded in your title, but it's more just something that I know from knowing you, and that's that you're a tax guru. Amid all this changing demand for electricity, I suspect there will be very real impacts on tax revenues at the state level, certainly the federal level as well. What's your view on that? Should states be getting ready for dramatically different tax revenue scenarios given this pandemic we're dealing with? I would say that it varies to the extent that a state relies heavily on sales taxes and maybe has heavy tourism. They're probably going to see a pretty significant drop-off until those industries come back and tourism picks up. Many states and jurisdictions also rely on income taxes, both personal as well as corporate in some cases. The corporate side of those is going to be impacted as well as the personal side. When you have unemployment rate of almost 14%, the question is, is how long that's going to continue. It's going to impact at least a quarter or two, and so that's going to impact that stream of revenues. And then for property taxes, and I think it really will depend on the shape of the recovery as to how that impacts property valuations, and that will impact property values and taxes on property. Do you have any recommendations for policymakers or others, like things they should be looking at and thinking about? I think that there is an argument to be made for getting some lessons learned here, building resilience to the extent you can, and I think you can do that, and how you react to these developments, and hopefully we won't have another one for a long, long period of time. 
but I think there is going to be a need and desire to address that risk now that it's been identified. Obviously, the lifeline industries like ours are going to have a seat at that table working with the policymakers. Right now, almost 20 states are looking at kind of the electric business, recognizing the sacrifice that the companies and crews and folks have made to ensure that electric service was interrupted and was sustained for everybody throughout this period. There were costs associated with that, particularly some of the bad debt expenses associated with just keeping power on to folks even if they were in arrears. Making sure that there are regulatory tools in place to address that, my opinion, will just be part of the broader tapestry of how do you prepare for pandemics and then how do you make sure that you can recover quickly. And the only way to do that all is to kind of ensure that the industry is financially sound and healthy and can continue to attract capital because we're the most capital intensive industry. And so I think that's going to continue and accelerate, especially given this new challenge of having to respond to pandemics. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for joining us, for giving us a little bit of time and sharing your expertise. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Brad, for inviting me, and I wish you all well. Thank you. We hope that you found this to be an informative 15 minutes, and we look forward to bringing you additional expert insights about the intersection of energy policy and COVID-19. To learn more about the electric industry's response to COVID-19, visit www.eei.org. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Current and We Stand for Energy.